0: Write down, we're gonna be in Acts chapter 4 so you can find it. And then I want you to write this question at the top of your notes page. Write this question down. How do I respond to grace? How do I respond to grace? That that's the question. How do I respond to grace? So you're gonna wonder for the next few minutes uh, how long this part that I'm about to share is gonna go on. (laughs) And you'll be wondering. When are we going to get into the message? And the answer is, friends, all of this today is the message, all of it. So I want to thank you now for trusting this part and staying with me because I believe there's a word for all of us in here. Um, Because it's a strange thing, isn't it? As soon as a pastor brings up money, everybody, ooh, that's not good. Um, There's a suspicion that gets stirred up when people talk about money and numbers in church. I believe that's because it it pricks at our trust issues, Uh, probably because a lot of us are afraid of money. We are anxious about our own financial state or ambitious about our future, or some of us are just obsessed with it. Uh, We use it to medicate our hungers or to stoke our egos. So, no wonder we don't like talking about it in places where we are uh, not good at giving it. But let me assure you of this. Contrary to pretty much what everyone who goes to church tells you, it is not wrong to talk about money in church. Most of us genuinely want to know what is expected of us, and not just from the church, but from God. Especially now when all our traditional ways of doing things have been turned upside down. What does God want from me? I think that's a big question for most of us because most of us are genuinely starving for compelling. Reasons to follow Jesus more, more closely, and Jesus talked about very practical things like money. In fact, you know Jesus talked more uh, about—he talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell and prayer combined. And if you're wondering why, I think the answer is kind of obvious. This is such a there's just a deep and rich connection between our stuff and our soul. So, I love talking about it as a discipleship issue, as a spiritual discipline, because I have a genuine desire to see Jesus holy every single nook and cranny of your life. So, because we're not all in the house these days, I want to spend a little of this message this morning talking about uh, where we are as a church. We've had a couple of milestones that I want to acknowledge. First, I want to thank Jacques and Leslie Pye for leading us so beautifully through what is undeniably the most difficult season in our church's life, of any church's life. Because of Jacques' work and uh, their their circumstances in their home, they're at home, so I'm talking to them right now personally. Uh, through the lens, but I want you to know, Jacques and Leslie, I, I get it. If you knew then what you know now, you would have run screaming from the room when it came to becoming treasurer, and, and, and justifiably so. You have led us through the end of one capital campaign, the beginning of another, the end of one loan structure, the beginning of another, the beginning of a separate nonprofit under the same roof. The complete shakeup of staff responsibilities, the ongoing question of our relationship with the United Methodist Church, and all that entails financially. Oh, and one other thing, a pandemic. <laughs> and the radical change that brought in how we receive funds and operate as an organization, all of that was just so much. And you did all of this, shop while you worked as an emergency room uh, doctor in the midst of the worst medical crisis of our lifetimes. And you did all of that, Leslie, while two children got married, two weddings in a year, and while members of your family worked on the front lines of COVID and social unrest, and while you were navigating quarantines and caring for a high-risk family member under your roof. As I said, if if you had known, I am sure you would have run screaming from the room. I want to say personally thank you for not doing that, for showing patience and care and commitment to the body of Christ in a hard season. You were there when we needed you, and I personally am so grateful for the gift of your time and your care. We've already announced this, but tomorrow it becomes a little bit more real uh, because uh, Leslie and Jacques will officially tomorrow turn the financial reins over to Heather Hill, who is our new administrative pastor, and to Judy Hutchison, who will function as our treasurer. Now that she's handed over the reins of the vision team to Mike uh, to Mike Barr. So, friends, we are blessed beyond measure with. Good people who love Jesus and love the body of Christ, who are so remarkably gifted and faithful and generous with their time and their care. And there's just no words to express this kind of gratitude. But oh my, how grateful we are. So last week, as one of their first solo acts, Judy and Heather put together the end-of-year report that we have to make for the North Georgia Annual Conference every year. So stay with me. I want to share just a couple of things with you from that report that are worth worth noticing. Let me start with people we served. Last year, we as a church served through outreach. Think the Mosaic Center. We served nearly 600 more people in 2020 than we served in 2019. And we served more than 1,500 more people than we served in 2018. Think about that. We served 600 more people in a pandemic year when we weren't even meeting as a church for a big chunk of that time. And we served more people in a year when we were not doing Third Saturday, a program we ended last, providentially I would say, January Uh, 2020. So, if you wondered if we could still be effective, if if we could still build lives and break cycles after Third Saturday, I hope you hear this as very good news. We served 1,569 individuals. That's 5,263 contacts, our highest number ever. And many of those contacts represent hours. And hours of personal interaction through GED tutoring, women of worth, exceptional circles, counseling at Maxwell House, prayers through the pantry, free Tuesdays. Hours and hours and hours of friendship and prayer and love. That is good news. Here's the challenge. We touched all those lives with just 59 volunteers less than half the number of people who uh, volunteered in 2019. And we get it, that for most of the year, there simply wasn't a way for a lot of volunteers to safely gather and serve. But, but, as the virus recedes and the doors reopen, our challenge will be to recover our One Thing commitments and our One Thing heart so that every person connected to this missional community is meaningfully engaged in the joy of serving Christ in community. We have this moment, friends, to really dig in and refresh who we are, to flex our missional muscle. I don't want to lose the moment. Let me give you another number, okay? Last year, We discovered a whole new way of worshiping. On this date last year, online worship wasn't even on our radar. And yet, two months from this point last year, we would be completely online. Now, when you have to build a plane while you're flying it, you understandably lose some of the confidence of the passengers who are on board that plane. We get that. And we did see online numbers ebb and flow a little last year while we were figuring things out. But we ended the year in the last few months with a, actually a remarkable amount of stability in our online audience. Our online worship average last year, just online, just online, was 194. That does not include the 50 to 70 people who showed up here every Sunday after June. So what I'm saying is, that last year we had our highest worship attendance ever. <laughs> so it was our first major One Thing initiative, and it's your One Thing gifts that made our online worship even possible. That was a hidden, hidden blessing of COVID. It was a hidden blessing that we actually had what it takes to actually extend our reach. Way to go. And, of course, we're still building the plane uh the online plane, learning more every day about how it all works and what our sweet spot is as a missional community, because we get it, we're not a a rock star online worshiping community, we are a missional community, and we're grateful for your patience, and what I really want you to hear is that through the Mosaic Center and through online worship, we are reaching more people today than at any point in our 18-year history. Caitlin Pye says, take that, pandemic, right? So come on, y'all, give it up for yourselves. Yeah. All right, so are you still with me? All right. Let's talk about giving, because there's no such thing as a free lunch. So what about our church's finances? The good news is that because our spending was kept to a minimum last year, and we finished the year with a surprisingly healthy bottom line balance that helps us all to breathe and keep moving forward. That's good news. But the hard news, and this is really hard news, is that we lost about 30% of our givers. Not 30% of our income, but 30% of our givers. Now, I want to say with a lot of understanding that if your giving was impacted by your loss of income, there is nothing but grace to cover that. And I am so grateful to those of you who continue giving, who immediately switched to online giving and just kept right on going. You, you have sustained us. And I am so grateful, so humbled by your faithfulness. Because giving matters. Numbers do matter. So with your offerings, never mind the other stuff, the other income we get, but just what you gave online and in person in a year when we have not had normal worship since March 15th, what you gave was 4% less than the year before. Just 4% less. That is good news. The giving of 30% fewer people was down by only 4% in 2019. That, to me, is a kind of loaves and fishes miracle. It's a testament to God's goodness that we have sustained our ministries and our salaries and even increased our impact. Thank you. Thank you. Ron Sider has done the math. He says, if American Christians simply gave a tithe, the biblical tithe, rather than the current one quarter of a tithe, which is our average, there would be enough private Christian dollars to provide basic health care and education to the entire impoverished population of the world. And we would still have an extra 50 to 70, sorry, an extra 60 to 70 billion dollars left over for evangelism around the world. I am convinced, I want you to hear me, I am convinced that tithing, to a missional organization, and then serving that organization is the most strategic thing you can do to change the world. I believe this was my whole being. And I say this as both a giver and a voter, an, an interested voter. Your vote is not the most powerful tool at your disposal. Your active connection in your local missional community is your most powerful tool against the darkness in this world. Because remember, the mission of Jesus begins in relationship. Giving is not, first of all, about missions or about efficiency or even about evangelism. Giving is rooted in relationship, in being with, not just for already heard that that's what we've been about in a year that's been tough on everybody. So if your reason for giving is that you're just not here, I want to encourage you to rethink that. Your gifts matter. It's how we worship and it's how we as a missional community participate in the transformation of the world. Which brings up, stay with me, one last number. (laughs) I don't want to miss it. In 2020, you gave $35,538 to our mission partners. Yeah. Which means we did not step back from our mission partners in a year when it was pretty hard to be a nonprofit. We hung in there with our mission partners, our GIC mission partners, in prayer, in support, and in love. And friends, they did the same for us. I hope that inspires you. As you consider how you will respond to grace in 2021. Because if you have survived this far, financially, emotionally, physically, you have received pure grace. (laughs) If you think any of this had to do with you? Think again. You have responded to pure grace. Is that people are ready to start thinking positively about life again? And so I hope you hear all of this as a hopeful message about the joy of living a generous life together because we've been holed up and thinking in survival terms for so long. Meanwhile, bills have been paid, meals have been on the table, and and, and jobs. Most of us have kept our jobs. Even those of us who have lost our jobs can say we've been able to make it work. We can say with the writer of Acts that God's grace has been powerfully at work among us. So how do you respond to that grace? Because grace is a two-part process. We get it from, we get it from God, but there's no proof we've received it. Until it begins to change how we relate to the world around us. And that takes us to Acts chapter (laughs) 4. To this one verse that I believe characterizes, maybe more than any other verse in the whole Bible, what it means to radically belong to the community of faith. Radically belong to the community of faith. So the book of Acts. Weaves together all sorts of fundamental and, and important themes. One of those themes has to do with the temple. That's a theme that begins way back in Exodus. Do you remember back in Exodus chapter 40, the Israelites had just pulled together all their resources, and they built a tabernacle to the Lord. And when this tabernacle was all finished, the last verses of Exodus tell us, a cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at, and at night, fire glowed inside the cloud. Don't forget that fire glowed in that cloud. So the whole family of Israel could see it. The point here is presence, the presence of God. The tabernacle was built to, to be a symbol of the presence of God. and that Presence continued through all their journeys. That pattern of presence repeats as we move through the story of God. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is being baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as he comes up out of the water, the story says he sees the, the spirit of the Lord. It descends like a dove and settles on him. That is presence. That's the first time we get a hint that maybe God is not just filling buildings with his presence, but also filling people. Presence. Jesus became God's new covenant tabernacle. So, we can see this thread of of, of presence running all the way through the scripture, through through the tabernacle in Exodus and through the temple as it gets built and then disintegrates and gets built again. Uh, through the temple of the Old Testament. Jesus, as he receives the Holy Spirit in his baptism. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit over all believers, and something like fire comes down over them. Remember, from the, from the temple in Exodus 40, or the tabernacle, fire comes down over them as they are filled, which means, follow me that what God first did with the tabernacle and then with Jesus, he is now doing at Pentecost with all believers. In other words, when we take Jesus into ourselves, we become the tabernacle of God, so that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not, first of all, an individual emotional experience, but something given to the community to strengthen it, and empower it for the work of the kingdom. Does that make sense? That's how we've been designed by God. We're designed for this. We're designed to follow him, to worship him in community. And then Paul, he picks up on this same idea, and he takes it out to the first churches that are established and all throughout the regions where he travels. He says to the Corinthians, don't you realize that all of you together, Are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are that temple. Say that last line together. You are that temple. So the Christian life is not a me and Jesus thing. It's an us and Jesus thing. Wherever the church is being built, wherever the church is being built, we are that church. We are the temple. So, when, when Luke is writing the book of Acts in light of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Luke is the, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote the book of Acts. And when he's writing Acts in light of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he's eager for us to see what exactly this living temple looks like. And to me, nothing better defines the living temple of God than Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Verse 32 builds the temple on the foundation. This is why I think, because it builds it on the foundation of a self-giving God, the self-giving character of God. We who are made in the image of God, we are charged with reflecting this self-giving character of God. So, it shows us the heart of God, who is a giver, and it demonstrates for us the character transformation that happens when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. This one verse captures the difference between consumerism and Christianity, and I'm telling you, right now, in the life of the church, not just our church, but the church, we have this moment to capture The difference between consumerism and Christianity, because so many people have been experiencing the Body of Christ through a screen—the same screen where their commercials show up—but we are a missional community. That thought really begins in the verses leading up to verse 32. The believers are all praying together, just like they were at the Day of Pentecost (Acts 2). They've had hints of persecution. More hints of persecution, so they're back on their knees again. They're raising their voices together to God. And listen, they're not asking for protection, but for boldness. It's like things have gotten really bad, so God, make us bold. Isn't that great? Asking God to give them power to heal and perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And the story says, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions, that's their unity. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. There was this incredible uh, transformation that happened in their lives, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit this time, and they really began to get it, that everything right down to the money I spend, to the property I own, all of it, all of it I have to rethink. It is all kingdom property. Listen, when followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, they become the temple. Or as Tim Mackey says, that the temple becomes us. We are the new temple, the new temple promised by God as the people of Jesus. And this infilling, this invasion, this is what creates the conditions for character change, which is what I hear happening in verse 32. All of a sudden, these people, being pressured and in some cases outright persecuted, no longer see themselves... As people in need of protection, but as people in need of power. Come on. As people who are part of something much bigger than themselves, so they they and their stuff become part of a, a whole. Their character becomes that of a giver, a confident giver, because they have received the Spirit of God who is at his core a giver. God is a giver who gives to us. And when he fills us, his character becomes our character, and that self-giving is what connects us back to God. Does this make sense? Don't miss the character of Christ in this word. We're talking about the kind of life, this Acts 4.32 life, that is so in rhythm with God's ways, so in sync with his purposes, that the journey is no longer a fight against a self-protective spirit, but a knee-bowing, spirit-bearing, hungry cry for boldness to speak the word and become an extension of God's healing, sign-producing, wonder-inspiring, self-giving hand. N.T. Wright says it this way, What you do with your money and possessions declares loudly what sort of a community you are. And the early church's practice was clear and definite. Let me say that again. What you do with your money and possessions declares loudly what sort of a community you are. And the early church's practice was clear and definite. It was an abiding that, that filtered into every nook and cranny. It is exactly what Jesus told us, John 15, 7. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask for anything you want and you will receive it. That's a, it's an incredible thought. And I think Acts 32 actually completes Jesus' thought. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask for anything you want and you will receive it because I know you will not count it as your own. You will give as you need to give. You will look for opportunities to reflect my self-giving character. It's exactly what God promised that first community forming out in the desert when he promised them that in self-giving, there is always enough. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 connects directly to uh, Deuteronomy 15, 4. There need be no poor, poor people in my From the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. One of the most encouraging stories for me from last year came from one of our people who kind of waltzed her way through her own really challenging year by flexing her giving muscle. You don't often see it just like this, but she did this take-that-pandemic approach Uh, to her financial life by delighting in the giving. I mean, she just became sort of obsessive about delighting in the giving. She got such delight. She told me last week when she got her giving statement, most of you, I guess if you've been giving, you you got a giving statement from Mosaic last week for your tax purposes. And and she realized when she looked at her statement that she'd given more than she thought she'd given. And she was so excited. She said, it makes me excited for what God's going to do this year. So I asked her, what would you tell someone who's trying to pull out of survival mode and get back to the joy of giving? And she wrote this. She said, listen to the little tugs. Let me say that again so you can hear me. Listen to the little tugs God gives you. And even when you feel that fear, just do it anyway. When the pandemic hit and I was unsure of how much money I, that would be coming in, I just focused on God's abundance And I had faith that if I kept my eyes and ears on him, he would put people in my path to, to work with so I could continue to give generously throughout 2020. And he did. And because of that, I doubled down for 2021. And I'm doing the work he has for me so he can continue to pour out blessings. Isn't that beautiful? And so here, friends, here is the punchline. We find it spelled out in Acts chapter 4 and lived out in our own time among one of our own people. So write this down. This is the punchline. The audacious claim of generosity is that out of giving comes great power. Out of giving comes great power. will not give you more power, nor will more time or more resources or more control or more whatever you fill in the blank. When it comes to giving, grace is power. And the story says, verse 33, with great what? Power. They're just, he's coming straight out of, they didn't count anything as their own. And then he says, with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, excuse me, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who had owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the disciples' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Isn't that beautiful? Even before the need is there, they were selling property, making sure there was plenty, making sure this could move forward, making sure that they reflected the self-giving character of God. And I so want time to tell you about Joseph. Verse 36, the Levite who sold the field he owned so he could give more money away. That same Joseph would be called Barnabas by the other followers. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And Barnabas would go on to partner with Paul to evangelize much of the known world. And I so much want to tell you the story of Ananias that follows these verses, the first story in Acts chapter 5. No coincidence. Ananias, who forgot the story of Nadab and Abihu, those first priests in the temple of God, Aaron's sons, the very first priests who burned unholy fire, took a shortcut. We didn't really understand the power of holiness. The consequence for them was death, literal death. And it was also for Ananias. God wants you to get it. This isn't just, we're not playing pretend. This could be your literal death. And it's going to be one way or the other, actually, death. And the application from that story is that our forgetfulness to God's call to complete surrender and our hope that somehow we can keep on doing what we've done but get something different, that's a kind of death. When we surrender everything, that also is a kind of death. (laughs) We have to let the old life go. But Dallas Willard says, even Jesus didn't get a resurrection without a death. The Acts 4:32 32 call is to total transformation. The cause, the cause. Out of giving comes great power. Out of the character of God. Out of the image of God Folks, Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. Because Jesus knows how you're made. Do you know that they have written about this? I mean, generosity is sown into our DNA. Studies say that people who are generous are healthier, happier, stronger in every possible way. Even other religions tell us this. We are made with the self-giving character of God sown into us. And you know... what your motives are. You know your pressure points. You know your points of pride and fear. You know your weakness. You know what the lines are for you. And you know, if you're honest with yourself and take time to look at it, where the separation is between where you are Any message about the gospel of Jesus Christ—it's always the same point: Jesus wants your heart. So we come back to the question that we had in the beginning. I want to just ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. How do I respond to grace? I forgot for a minute, Jesus. It has not been my great ingenuity or my. ability to hold up and quarantine better than everybody else, or my ability to save money for hard times, that's, I'm not here, I'm not here now because of anything I have done. I have received grace. I have received grace. How am I going to respond to grace? How am I going to respond? Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.